All right, let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter eight, uh, 19. And uh, I don't know how far we will get. <laughs> I was excited to get to this chapter. This is a great chapter. Because it deals with the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is extremely vital in every believer's life. And there is such confusion about it. And if you've been listening to me for any time, and those of you listening by radio, I encourage you to go back and either listen to uh, my teachings on chapter 1 and, and uh, in the book of Acts, uh, get the commentary from it online or whatever, but, but go back and, and look at that if you haven't read or heard that yet. Because I, I dealt with it in depth, but you're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, you know, it's like we call it the Acts of the Apostles. But in reality, like I told you when we started this study, it's really the Acts of the Holy Ghost. This is what the Holy Spirit has been doing through the Apostles the whole time as we venture through the entire book of Acts. That's what it's really about. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason that it is so vital in the church today, I heard a young man, he's a young preacher, been around for a while, I won't mention his name. Uh, I jokingly call him the angry prophet. He's very accurate, but, he, but his observation was, was that because the gospel has been so watered down amongst just the body of Christ in general, not only uh, has it brought in carnality, you know, it was interesting because I heard the term carnival used this morning. And the word carnival, just if you didn't know, comes from the word carnal. And down in Brazil, to be honest with you, at least they're honest about it. They call it carnival. And when you go down there, and I wouldn't encourage you to because it's like going to Bourbon Street, you know, during Mardi Gras. Because all you're going to see is nudity and everything else. But why? Because it's carnival. It's carnal. It is interesting, but the church is, is really carnal. And because of its lack of reliance, not only upon Jesus Christ, but upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And the church in general has begun to do the things of the Spirit in the flesh, including preaching. And we're going to see that later on. It's, it's easy to do. It's easy to fall into that. It's detrimental, but it happens. And so Paul travels to Ephesus, but let's pick it up in 19, verse 1. And it says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, and I told you guys, if you want to do yourself a favor, read ahead, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, you'll get a good idea of what those guys were dealing with. While he was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast of, uh, to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, if you're taking notes, underline the word disciple, because it's important that you understand that they were. And he asked them a question. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. <laughs> now, there is a bit of a debate as to whether the word since there, you see the word since have you received the word or the, the Holy Ghost since you believed? Some of your Bibles very well may say when you believed. Gang, I've told you this a million times. And if you've been listening to me on radio you, for any amount of years, you know. 
I will say it a million times. Every time we find a word problem from the received text and the other text, I'm going to point it out. I had a kid this morning ask me about this, and here's what I told him. He says, well, I used to use the NIV, but I don't like it. And I said, why don't you like it? And he couldn't really tell me. I said, I could give you a plethora of reasons why it's a fouled version of the Bible. It's just not good. I said, but don't make no mistake about this. I could preach the gospel from a living Bible. As flawed as it is, I can preach the gospel. Listen, if I was to write John 3.16 in my own language on a napkin and leave it on a waitress's table, and she read that and believed on Jesus Christ, the question is, would she not be saved? And it's rhetorical because the answer is what? Yes. So it's not a salvational issue when I talk about the issue of translations. But boy, you better believe it is a discipleship issue. Because the fallacy and doctrine that has infiltrated the church has been a direct result of it. Simple things. So the devil's not stupid. He knows he can't do away with the Word of God, but boy, he can sure tamper with it. Remember, when Jesus was being tempted, Satan tempted him and came to him and tried to use his own Word against him to take him, to make him do things. So Satan knows the Word. He doesn't understand it, but he has worked through many a man in their effort to translate the Bible into a more modern vernacular. I like to call it dumbing it down. They want to dumb it down. I heard a person tell me one time, well, Doug, I just can't read the King James Version. And I said, why? I don't understand the words thee and thou. They bother me. I said, well, let me ask you a question. What's thee mean? She goes, I think it means you. I said, what's thou mean? She goes, I think it means you. I said, you told me you didn't understand them. And this is exactly what she told me. She goes, well, it makes me think too much. Oh, dear Jesus. Don't make, uh, Lord, help me if it makes me think. If i got to turn to a dictionary and actually study to show myself approved unto God. I don't want to get off on that, but I'm telling you, listen, these type of verses matter. And one word can change the entire meaning of it. Here's what I mean. When Paul says, have you received the Spirit since you believe, that is an indication that it is a separate and subsequent effect or experience in the life of a believer after he's saved. It is separate. You know, John Wesley called it a second work of grace. I'm okay with that. Call it what you want. The Bible calls it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if we think that the word when should be in there, and my Baptist friends would say that it should be, they're wrong, but they think it should be. Why? Because they do not believe in a subsequent experience of the Holy Spirit. They believe that when you come to Christ, and I was a young Baptist at one time, and I believed the same thing, that when you came to Jesus, that you were given the fullness of the Spirit at that point and nothing else to be gained. And I lived that kind of life until I had a 16-year-old boy come to me and challenge me one time. And he says, let me read you a scripture. And he took me to the book of Luke, and, he, and the Lord himself said, If you, being mere men, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? And he said, Have you ever asked? I said, Well, I didn't have to. He said, It says to them that ask. Have you ever asked? 
And I had to admit, I hadn't. And I was living a life, I was a Christian. I was studying. I had knowledge. What I didn't have was the power in my life to overcome certain things. There was things that were still bogging me down. Packages, if you will, of stupidity. So I got up and I thought, what could it hurt? I'll ask. And my life was totally transformed. Now, I didn't start speaking in tongues. A lightning bolt did not hit me in the head. I didn't get all tingly and vibrating like some people have told me. I was all by my lonesome. But you know what? I understood that when I asked, I asked in faith. And I knew that whatever I asked God for, I would receive. But boy, there was an anointing that came upon my teaching and upon my preaching that I never had before. There was an unction from the Holy Spirit. And this is the power that sometimes people confuse with passion. Oh, he's passionate about things. I've been called that. Passionate. I said, no, I just believe it. I'm a pretty normal guy until I get behind a pulpit, until I get a Bible in front of me. Why? Because I believe it. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't operate just that way in my life. He operates that way in yours. He's no respecter of persons. So is it since or when? Well, it's since. Have you received the Spirit since you believe, Paul asked him. The word when there is a mistranslation, it's a bad translation. So don't just, if you got one that says when, scratch it out, put a line, say since. Because that's what it should say. Why? Because it's separate and subsequent. It comes after. If you remember back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the Lord himself, after he appeared after his resurrection, told his own disciples, and you shall receive power, that deutimus, remember? The dynamic. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Now remember, I told you then that the disciples had been with Jesus, remember? When he was ascending, and that was when he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. It was at that moment that they were genuinely born again. But it wasn't until later, in the first chapter of Acts, that he says, look, don't go anywhere. Stay right here. For not many days from now, you will be endued with power from on high. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall receive power, and you shall be witnesses both unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Hmm. That's a total contrast to the translation of when you received. One says that it is separate and subsequent, and one translation says it happens all at one time. Now, I don't make an awful big thing of it, but I know that there's so many verses in here that as we go through the Scriptures, we're going to get to them. Some of them are much more detrimental to discipleship than others. This one, I think, is very detrimental. Why? Because if I believe that when I come to Christ that whatever I get at that moment is all there is, then I'm apt to live a life that probably almost 70% of Christians live to this day. We wonder why there's no power in the church. I've heard people say, well, Doug, how come I, I hear you preach like you've seen these, these type of miracles that you read about in the book of Acts, but how come I've never seen them? How come we don't see them? And I'm going, because you have a church that is not empowered by the deutimous power 
of the epi experience, that coming upon. They've never asked. Even in the book of James, he says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. How simple it is to ask. But so often we don't. So there was a pattern forming, is what I'm trying to get you to see. This separate and subsequent thing that happens after we come to Christ in salvation. Really, from Acts chapter 2, you can write it down and go back and read it again. It's Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read you verses 37 through 39. You remember, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and unto your children and all that are afar off, as many as the Lord God shall call. So there was kind of this precedent, this pattern. That is, you repent, you're baptized, and Peter said, you shall receive the promise. And this tended to be, and as we see through the book of Acts, it tended to be the pattern. Repent, you're baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes there would be manifestations of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, prophesying, tend to be the two big ones. But not always. That's why I don't make too big a deal of the when and since. Why? Cornelius throws a wrench in that work. Why? Because in Cornelius' house, Peter was speaking, and as he spoke, the Holy Ghost came upon them instantaneously. All of them. And Peter says, who should forbid water that they should be baptized, seeing that they have received the Holy Ghost? So there's a wrench in the work. But I can tell you from studying, and you will see also, if you simply look, that the pattern, for the most part, is we come to Christ, we repent, and then we are baptized and we receive the Holy Spirit. That, that's, the, that's the typical. Some of us have to ask. That was me. You remember back in Samaria, remember the Samaritans? When Philip went and preached to Samaria, he preached Jesus Christ, and many believed and were baptized. And remember back in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem heard about it, and they said, wow. But let's send Peter and John, because as of yet, the Holy Spirit had fallen on none of them. So they sent them down there, and when they laid hands, remember that was when uh, Simon the Sorcerer was down there too, and he actually believed and was baptized and everything else. That's a whole other thing. But they went down because these people had believed on Christ. They had already been baptized, but yet the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen upon any of them. And it wasn't until Peter and John went down and laid hands on them that, that it happened. Separate and subsequent to their salvation. It's that epi- experience when the holy ghost has come upon you that word upon there in the greek it's epi it means to overcome to overflow and so often i used to bring a pitcher in a, in a tanker of water and i would show people and i'd fill the glass completely to the brim and i would say you know when you came to christ this is what happened the holy spirit filled you at that moment you were completely full there's no doubt about that you can't be a believer and not have the Spirit of Christ because Paul said in the book of Romans as we went through, if any have not the Spirit of Christ, what? He is none of his. So when you come to Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, no doubt. 
But what Jesus told his disciples was that they would be endued with power when the Holy Ghost was come upon them, that epi, and that full glass would begin to overflow with the Spirit of God. Jesus said it, was, it would be like torrents of living water. And that's really what happens when the Holy Spirit comes up. To do what? To empower us to be witnesses. I had a young lady ask me this morning. She was going into a situation um, where there was a, a lady who claimed to be a Wiccan. And uh, she was concerned about it. And she didn't want to be around a place where somebody was praying to, you know, the earth, whatever they believe, you know. And I said, but she was kind of related to this person, I believe. I said, go. Well, I'm afraid to take my attention. I said, your son's protected because of you. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, read it. He's protected, you know. He's, he's, he's okay. He's not saved because of you, but he's protected. I said, just go. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. Then go. I said, listen to me. You know, you get me around a bunch of crazies who are worshiping the world. If I walk in the midst of that, I'm telling you right now, things are going to happen. It might not be good, but it's not me. It's just the Spirit of God that's in me, and you have the same Spirit. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. You walk into a room, if there's a bunch of devil worshipers in there, oh, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. I've been in a situation where I was with people who were of a crazy mind and, and began to, wanted to pray over the dinner. So I left them. I told her, I said, just join hands and pray with them. Here's what I want you to pray, though, while she's rambling, worshiping the creation more than the creator. Say, Lord, forgive her, for she knows not what she does. And when she's done, you say, now I want my turn. And you pray and you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I would do. Speak it in truth. Speak it in love. But speak it. Just go in and do it. You've got the same spirit. Don't be afraid. Because we're empowered to do that. If you have received the spirit since you believed and this is what Paul was asking. Have you had this epi experience? Is your life overflowing with the Spirit of God? Hmm. Back in the 14th chapter of John, when Jesus, and, and it's, in ver, it's just verse 17, you can write it down. John 14, 17. Jesus was talking. And he was talking about the things of the Spirit. He says, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it sent, seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. So there's two Greek prepositions used to describe the relationship of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. First, as Jesus said, he is with you. And then he shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit is with us. Before I really gave my life to Christ, before I was doing it, I, I couldn't count how many times somebody had come to me and tried to talk to me about the Lord. From the time I was a little kid, my mother and so many others, 
Well, the Holy Spirit does that. He works through his, his, you know, his people. And, but it's the Holy Spirit that's with us, and we call it wooing, wooing us, convicting us of our sin and how detrimental it's going to be on Judgment Day and how desperately we need Jesus to solve it. That's what the Holy Spirit does before we know Christ. And then as we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then he takes up his abode with us, in us. He shall be with you and he shall be in you. Paul the Apostle, in writing to the Corinthians, there in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, he says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. This is true for every believer. Every believer has this. But there is something more. When it's true that every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit, because like I told you a minute ago, if it wasn't the case, then you would be none of his, according to Romans chapter 8. However, Jesus promised something more to those who believed on him and received the Holy Spirit. Jesus pointed to an ultimate work of grace, a glorious work of the Spirit of God that would be in the lives of those who put their faith and trust in him. They would begin to have flowing rivers of torrents of grace and mercy and love and all the fruits of the Spirit would be coming and overflowing in their life. God looks at us both subjectively and objectively. He first looks at all of us subjectively as to what he can do for us or do with us. And then he looks at us objectively as to what he can do through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to have that epi experience. So that's with you and then in you thing. But what I really think is interesting about this two verses isn't just the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which obviously needs to be preached. Because it can be yours. If you're listening, and maybe you've never experienced it, maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'll tell you like that 16-year-old kid told me. Have you asked? I'll tell you like Paul told the 12 disciples he's talking to now. Have you received the Spirit since you believed? Is there an overflowing in your life? See, it's not a matter of salvation, but it is a matter of discipleship. Because you can be saved and you can be powerless as far as winning people to Christ, because that's what it empowers you to do. So often people say, Doug, I've never been able to win anybody to the Lord. Question, have you received the Spirit since you believe? You see, that's a contradiction in terms. Why? Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do that. And he's no respecter of a person. 
He doesn't care. There's no big eyes or little U's with him. He sees you. You ask for that empowerment, he will give it to you. Just that simple. There's no special method to it. There's no special way to do it. You just ask and receive it by faith. When you go back to the book of Galatians and you look at chapter 3, you know, Paul asked the Galatians, how received ye the Spirit? By the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's well, a rhetorical question? It's by the hearing of faith. So we simply ask and we receive. But I think a more interesting question is why did Paul ask the question in the first place? Why did he do that? He comes upon these disciples that are there in Ephesus, and the first thing out of Paul's mouth is, have you received the Spirit since you believed? Why did he ask that? Why? He didn't do it to anybody else. We never see him doing it to anybody else. But he did to them, all 12 of them. Asked him that question, have you received the Spirit since you believed? I submit to you, Paul didn't see something in their life. There was something missing in the midst of these 12 that prompted his question. Something was missing. Something was wrong. Something was amiss. I don't think Paul was out to just antagonize anybody, although some might argue that point. But the fact is, is that, you know, Paul was asking a legitimate question. One that you should be able to ask to anybody. But I do think it was prompted. Hmm. What was it? I can only think of one thing. Now, when you talk about the issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, people will give you a plethora of their experiences. I ain't talking about that. Talk about what's biblical. So often when you deal with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have our Pentecostal brothers who I love dearly. But many of them have come to the false and erroneous conclusion that in order to know that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there must be evidence. There must be some sort of evidence. And they've come to the erroneous conclusion that that has to be speaking in tongues. Well, they have a little problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asked a very simple question. Do all speak in tongues? The answer is rhetorical, which is what? No. He even said that. So then they had to cover that verse, so they said, well, it's not the gift of tongues, it's the evidence of tongues. And they still to this day can't tell you what the difference is other than one happens when you're baptized and the other one seems to be a permanent gift which is ridiculous because there's no proof of that in the Scriptures. But you can believe what you want, or you can be right. You know? Read, read the Bible. You know, just, just take it for what it says. My point is, is that there's those who believe that there's an evidence. I, too, believe that there's an evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit. There is an evidence. I think Paul the Apostle told us what it was. But so often we think that it's something else. We look at a preacher who might have an anointing on his life and we, we call him dynamic or we say he's got passion. We think that's proof of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nay. <laughs> Sometimes passion can be done out of sure will. Sometimes good preaching can be done in the flesh, believe it or not. I've done it. I'm talking from personal experience. 
God forbid that I would ever do it again, but in my life there was times. And I'm not the only one. So you can't trust that. This time I do want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Because Paul addresses the issue. When we're talking about the gifting of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that epi experience, manifestations do follow. There's no doubt. I personally have the gift of tongues. The Lord uses many other things. I use that in my own prayer life. Blesses me. You know, and uh, I've had people say, well, you know, how do you do? I said, look, have, have you asked? <laughs> Whatever you want from the Lord, ask. Ask. Paul says, desire earnestly the best gifts. This is what Paul said. What are the best gifts? The best gifts are the ones that are best for you. And God is the only one who knows that because the Holy Spirit deals to every man severally as he wills. So ask. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's going to give us something. But in chapter 12, you don't turn there. I'm just going to tell you, at the end of chapter 12, which he had already talked about all the manifestations of the Spirit in chapter 12, yet at the end of 12, he says, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Here's a more excellent way. And I call this, of course, and many do, the way of agape. And here's what Paul says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and I have not charity. The word charity here is a much better translation than the word love. And the reason being is it might not mean what you think it is. We hear the word charity, we think it means to give to somebody. And in reality, it means love in action. That's what it means. So I can tell you I love you. I love you, baby. Talking to my wife for radio listeners. But if I never showed it to her, you understand, she might start thinking I'm lying. And I could give her flowers every day. But that's not necessarily love, now is it? It just means I like to blow money. And we earn favor. But showing love. People know when you mean it. They know when you mean it. It's love in action. So Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men, of men and angels and have not love in action, if I'm not showing love in action, I become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, now think about all these things, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not love in action, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love in action, it profits me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Paul says, look, you can have all those manifestations. But if the true love of God, of the Lord, of his word, of his people, of his church, 
isn't overflowing out of your life, you're a liar. It profits you nothing. Because you can be born again, filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit and not be overflowing. And so that love of the things of God will be lacking. And we see it so much in the, in a, in a, in a, in the church of Jesus Christ. It's unfortunate. The lack of love for the Word, for the integrity of the Word, for the authority of the Word, where they want to just throw it out. Oh, it doesn't mean that, you see. That was meant for back then. Now we can't even tell what a female and a male is. We don't even know what the bathroom to use because we are men who are so mixed up. Because why? We have done away with the Word of God. It has no authority in my life. Not empowered. So I don't recognize it. Chapter 13, Corinthians, has always been interesting to me. Because when you read it, and Paul's saying this, one thing always popped out to me, and I want to read this for you this way. There in verse 4, if you look at it, every time I say the word charity, I'm going to substitute it with the word Jesus. I want you to see how easy it flows. Jesus suffereth long and is kind. Jesus envieth not. Jesus vaunteth not himself, is not puffed up. Does not behave himself unseemly, seeks not his own, is not easily provoked, thinks no evil. Rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopes all things, endured all things. Jesus never fails. Now, for an eye-opener, go back and read it with your name in it. Put your name in it. I can't even do it with my own without laughing. That's a hard one, ain't it? But with Jesus, it just works. It just flows. Why? Because everything Paul said here is a trait of the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, 1 John 5, 7. These three are one. They're all in the same. Co-equal, co-eternal, the Trinity. But this is what flows out of the life of a person who has allowed themselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that epi experience, that overflowing. Those things will be evident. The evidence. If there is an evidence. And so many people to this day and still, and even in the past, you see, even within this particular denomination. John Wesley believed there was an evidence. He was a little mistaken on this one. He had some good points, but he was wrong about this. John Wesley believed in the second work of grace. I, too, believe in the second work of grace. The Bible also teaches the second work of grace. John Wesley believed that it led to Christian perfection in this life. That there was a time when you could actually come to the point where you would no longer physically sin. Can't wait to meet that boy. I want to have a little biblical discussion with him. Now, the fact is, as many of the Wesleyan teaching churches have long since abandoned that false doctrine. Why? I understand his desire. 
I too desire to live a life that is holy. I too desire to live a life that is representative of a man of God. But I have failed at times. We all have. We have all come short of that glory. You know. And so did John Wesley. And I hope, I'm sure he knew it. Because George Whitfield pointed it out to him. But that's another story. But so many people have this idea of what is the, what is the evidence then of the Spirit. What is, when a person's filled with the Holy Spirit, when he's baptized and he's overflowing with that, what's the, how do we know? Paul says it's love. It's love. Man, have you ever met somebody who could quote you to Scripture and who could read you and had seemingly understood doctrine as well as anybody? And yet just didn't love people. And want to minister. I remember back when I was pastoring Calvary Chapel, I had a woman come to me one time, and I've probably told you this story, but it begs to be told again. And she'd been there for a long time, and I, I'd always noticed her. Because every time she came to me, she was complaining about the unspirituality of the women in our church which I always ignored <laughs> as a pastor. Oh, I always, you know, I'd listen and just kind of shake my head and go, yeah, I'll take that to prayer. Let it go. First off, you're not the Holy Spirit. They don't need, you know, the fashion police running around. You know, it's just crazy stuff. But that's all she ever did. And so she comes to me and she wants to start a women's Bible study. My assistant pastor happened to be sitting there with me. And I couldn't help myself. I busted up laughing. She goes, what are you laughing for? I said, you're, you're joking, right? I mean, you're making that up. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not serious. Well, yeah. I said, no, absolutely not. I would never let you teach a Bible study here. Why? I said, first off, darling, you don't love these women. You don't love these women. You nitpick these women. You're picking at them. And who have you set up as the standard other than yourself? I said, the problem with your theology is it's flawed. You see, Jesus is the standard. And by that standard, we all fail. All of us have got flaws. It's one of the things I love about being a preacher because I know that. I know the Word teaches that. And I know that I'm that way, but I also know that you're that way. And I told you when we first started this a couple years ago, I said, boy... If you really do me, you wouldn't be sitting here. You remember me telling you that? And I says, and if I really knew you, I wouldn't be standing here. See, it's the truth. We're all that way. Why? Because we're people. But we're people who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, and we're trusting him for everything. So Jesus is my all. He's my reason. I'm bought with a price. It's the blood of Christ that has cleansed me from my sin. His life has produced my righteousness, not mine, his life. He kept the law perfectly. But he gave me a promise of this power that I could have in my life that would allow me to be a witness for him and to do whatever it is that God has called me to do or what God has called you to do. And that's why it's so important that we focus on that. And when Paul looks at these guys, he sees these 12 and he says, 
Have you received the Spirit since you believed? It's because he saw something lacking. I don't think he didn't, he wasn't asking him, hey, have you, did your boys speak in tongues after you did? And you notice that question right there. Did, did, you, did, you, did you prophesy? Did you, did you do this? Did you, he didn't say any of that. He just says, wow, there's something wrong with you guys. And I think it was something as simple as he just didn't hear the love of God. All they knew, and we're going to see that when we get into it. We won't get into it tonight. All we see is that they knew the baptism of John. They had received Jesus. I believe they were filled with the Spirit. They were disciples. The Bible calls them that, not me. But they were disciples of John. John the Baptist. And all they knew was that baptism of repentance. That got them saved. But it sure didn't get them filled with the Spirit. And it was evident was evident. It was evident. We need today to be asking once again, have you been filled with the Spirit since you believe? Is your life overflowing with the things for God, the love for His people? I've heard people, I, I, was this? somebody read, wrote a book, I love God but I hate His people. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it sounds funny on the service, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, it's his followers I can't stand. I've heard that one a million times. Well, I got news for you, you don't believe in Jesus then. You see, my kids are my kids, and I can beat them if I want to, but don't you do it. Don't lay a finger on my kids, man. Don't even talk bad about my kids to me. Why? Because they're mine. See, Jesus looks at you the same way. We are all the children of God. And if he wants to correct you, he can do that. But you don't want nobody else doing it. <laughs> you don't want nobody talking about you. You don't want nobody beating you. You know, that's why it's so sad when the pulpits are filled with preachers who beat the sheep instead of feed the sheep. And so often, that love, that lack of love of the word of God, of his people, of his church, is so evident that it makes you want to ask them, have you received the Spirit since you believed? Have you? Have you? If your life's been lacking something, as you, and you're a believer in Christ, if you've come to that salvation experience, and maybe a lot of things changed, but maybe, and hear me out, maybe you've been struggling with a few things. Maybe there's a few things you haven't been able to overcome. Maybe you haven't ever, never won anybody to Jesus. Maybe you've never led any other soul to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And you don't know why. I'm telling you. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. At work at school, in your town, in your state, in your country, around the world. You can do it. Well, how do I do that, Doug? How, you know, how do I do it? Well, let me tell you what that 16-year-old kid told me one more time. Quoting Luke, Jesus said, if you being mere men know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the gift of the Holy Ghost to him and ask? Ask. It's not hard. 
Humble yourself and ask and receive it by faith. And watch and see what happens. It's amazing. Now, will you speak in tongues? You might, I don't know. Will you get all tingly? You might, I don't know. You might start prophesying, I don't know. I saw a girl one time started quoting scripture, said she never read it before in her life. I've seen a lot of stuff, and I've seen nothing. But you know what? The fact is you receive it by faith, and the Holy Spirit will do what he wants to do. And whatever he's called you to do, he will empower you to do it. But witnessing will be something that comes so much easier for you. Leading somebody to Jesus will be something that you will want to do. Matter of fact, once you experience that epi, that overflowing, they'll have a hard time shutting you up when you get around somebody who needs to know the Lord. And it won't be because I'm up here badgering you to do it. It'll be because you want to. And it's just something that happens. So once again, if you've never asked, ask. I know that there's some listening to me on radio. I'm talking to you too. You've been doing the same thing. You listen to me all the time. I get your letters. I get your emails. You tell me, oh, I love listening to you. Great. But has it made any difference in your life? Is the Word of God changing you? Have you won anybody to Jesus? And if you haven't, you might think, have I received the Spirit since I believe? Once again, when we come to Christ, we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, that's true. You're a child of God. But Jesus said there's something more. Have you received it? I pray that you have. Father, we love you. And Lord, I do thank you and for the epi experience that we can have with the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, Father, that you freely empower us to be witnesses for you any place that we're at. Lord, I pray for those who either sitting here or those listening by radio who maybe they've never received. Lord, show them. Give them a dose, Lord Father. Pour your spirit out upon them. Let it overflow into their lives, Lord Father. I pray that they would evaluate their self and humble themselves, Lord Father, and just ask. We love you so much. We thank you for all that you do, all that you want to do, and all that you will do in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.